0: the dust, O oh, virgin daughter of God. Sit on the ground, about a throne, O oh, daughter of the Chaldeans. For you, you shall no longer be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and, and grind, and grind Remove your veil, strip off the skirt, uncover the leg, cross the rivers. Your nakedness will be uncovered. Your shame will also be exposed. I will take vengeance and will not spare. Me. Okay. Now this is directed toward whom? This is Babylon now think about who Babylon is you know now this is this is like seeing the fall of Babylon but we know before Babylon falls she rose to a position of very great greatness and splendor Babylon had always been an important city Uh, I believe I'm right that one of the seven wonders of the world the hanging gardens of Babylon that that was one of the seven great things that The world had to offer. Babylon was was an important city. She was almost like a queen. You know, he calls her a virgin. Now, generally speaking, when the Bible uses the term virgin like this, do you understand what it means? It doesn't necessarily mean pure. It means unconquered, you know, unviolated. You know, Babylon has been this this untouched city. And uh, what's going to happen, does he say, to Babylon? Sit on the ground. Yeah, she's going to come off of her throne and sit on the, sit on the ground, sit in the dust. She's not going to be called tender and delicate anymore. What's going to happen to her? Be a slave woman, you know. Take the millstones and grind the meal. She's going to have to take her veil off and strip off her skirt and, and and cross the rivers and 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 do shameful, you know, work. Uh, she goes from this life of elegant luxury to slavery, to degrading, menial tasks, perhaps even. Uh, the exposure here is 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 the idea should be violated sexually. I'm not sure about that. But I mean, you know, maybe for somebody who was born into you know, a poor circumstance and worked hard all their lives, this wouldn't seem like such a terrible thing. But imagine the Queen of England. You know, somebody saying to the Queen of England, you're gonna come out your throne, take off your crown, you're gonna put on your work clothes. And you're going to slave away the mill. Does that seem a little out of place with the queen? That, that's what he's saying here. Took to, to this, this queen Babylon. That's what God's going to do to her. Um, in a sense, Babylon was going to be a slave like Israel has been. Babylon's almost going to trade places with Israel. We'll see that a little bit later. Comments and questions on these three verses. 4 to 7. I remember the Lord the of Moses' name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit silently and going to dark. Go O daughter of the Chaldean, for you will no longer be called the queen of kingdoms. I was angry with my people I profaned my heritage and gave them into your hand. You did not show mercy to them. Me. You, you made your yoke very heavy. Yet you said, I will be a queen forever. These things you did not consider, nor remember the outcome of them. Now, what we're doing in the rest of this chapter is looking at reasons for God to bring Babylon down. And uh, he's certainly able to do it. But why does he do it? Why does he cause her to sit in darkness, to not be the queen of the kingdoms anymore? What did they do to deserve this? I think the idea is that they weren't just obeying God by taking them to captivity and they went one step further and showed excessive cruelty Exactly. Remember that God was bound to punish Israel, to conquer Judah, let's say, and to take them into captivity. But look at what he says in verse 6. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage and gave them into your hand. Now God was the one that caused Israel to be given into God's hand, or to, to Babylon's hand. God's the one who, who had great Babylon to punish and exile his people. But, you did not show mercy to them. On the age you made your yoke very heavy. You know, instead of disciplining God's people, Babylon was like a child abuser. You know, Babylon went way beyond what God had in mind didn't even show any, any mercy to the agent. They were harsh with others. And yet look at how they treated themselves. Yet you said, I will be a queen forever. So they pamper themselves and abuse others. Uh, and, and, and you know, God is very big on, you know, mercy and justice and fair treatment You know, God is is, is big on humanitarian kinds of concerns. And they certainly didn't demonstrate. I'm going to say a couple more things about this section, but I'll pause and let you make comments or ask questions. In verse 7, you think about this statement. I will be a queen forever. What in the world would possess a battle to make a ridiculous statement like that? It's the arrogance. It's certainly, it certainly is. Overconfident. Overconfident. Oh, what would make them overcome? Forgetfulness of where, where they came from. Victories. Victories, yeah, I think so. Worldly people get intoxicated with their own prosperity and success. You know, God, God gives us some some victories, and what we immediately extrapolate that to, we can never be defeated. You know, we're going to win all the time. And in fact, to say I will be a queen forever, do you see anything kind of offensive in that statement? How would God do that? He's the only one who is the first and the last. That's exactly right. To say anything I will be forever is a claim to eternity that God alone possesses. This is almost claiming to be God. This is almost self-deification. You know, she's this queen forever and she mistreated those that God gave into her hand for her to spank. So her cruelty to Israel was one factor in God bringing her off her throne down to slavery. Comments and questions? Uh, yeah, order, it seems a little Lord. random to me. Yeah, I don't know what to do it, can you maybe explain it? I can tell them, I can tell them about those in there about God redeeming Israel. Yes. um, maybe of that is as much as anything in connection with one to three. God bringing Babylon down was the way that he redeemed his people. Brought them back out of captivity. So maybe maybe that connects with what he does to Babylon. Though in this section of Isaiah, verse like verse 4 is always in place. (laughs) You know, that's really what he's trying to say all through this. Look at who I am by what I do. Other thoughts? Michael. You can see, uh, like in verse 7, that uh, prideful statement in both Daniel, especially a lot of Nebuchadnezzar's actions and words that he says uh, for Michael," especially in. Daniel 4, verse 30, it says, The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Yet Daniel, in chapter 2, he points out that it is God who appoints the powers of the land, it is God who does everything. Pride is a result of not recognizing God's points. <laughs> great. Yeah, when you think back to Isaiah 40, where you read the, the nations, or a drop in a bucket, or dust on the scales, and, you know, uh, we, we had talked earlier about that annoying dust. You know, you have know, this dust to say, you know, that all right, I'm going to be a queen forever. And you can see the Lord looking down about being so annoying. Just, you know, you're dust. Anybody <laughs> else? Said these things you did not consider or remember the outcome. Is that just referring to the things that they did? They didn't, she didn't consider what would be the result of her mistreating Israel, and ultimately didn't consider the Lord and all the truths we've been seeing in this book. Right. Second reason for her downfall. We've already touched on it, but this makes it explicit. Eight through eleven. says in your heart, I am, and there's no one beside you. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come on you suddenly in one day. Loss of children and widowhood. They shall come on you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries, in spite of the great power of your spells. And you felt secure in your wickedness and said, No one sees me. You. Your wisdom and your knowledge they you. You have said in your heart, I am, there is no one besides me. The evil will come on you, but you will not know how to charm away. The disaster will follow on you, for which you cannot tongue, And destruction, of which you do not know, will come on you suddenly. So, look at how Babylon saw herself. In verse 8, what did she say in her heart? remind you of anything? is that what God can say? She's claiming the That is a statement that only God can make. You can find several times where God makes it in this book. You can't say, I am and there's no one besides me. Not as a human being, you can't. That, that's an outrageous claim. You might compare... A statement uh, that was uh, made in Zephaniah, chapter 2, um, about Assyria. Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse uh, wrong oh, no, I can't find that. Uh, verse 15. Nineveh dwells securely, who says in her heart, I am. And there's no one besides me. Remember what happened in Nineveh? Same thing will happen about. When you say I am and there's no one besides me, God deals with that very firmly. She says that two things will never happen to her. What two? Never will I be a widow. Never will I lose my children. And what will happen? Both will happen the same day. She has <laughs> delusions of grandeur. She thinks she controls the future. <laughs> what? Don't, don't make these, you know, unqualified, brash, boastful statements. I'm going to do this. This will never happen to me. You know, I won't permit it. That do to God? It has yeah. the control away from him. Absolutely. And God doesn't take kindly to that. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when a, when a child comes to his parents and says, I am not going to take the trash out. You know what happened to my children if they said something like that? I may not have been intending for them to take the trash out, but if they say that, they will take the trash out. You know, they would not not challenge my authority in the Bible. You say, here is what I will do, and nothing's going to stop me. That is different to God. I mean, remember James? You say, if the Lord will, live, I will do this and that. I mean, we need to be careful even about what we say. I've told this several times. But it's helped me so much that Brazilians constantly will say "See, si Deus quiser if they make any sort of statement about the future. And they will, for example, say, when are you going to be coming back? And I'll say, next year and if i don't say see davis kizer they'll say see davis kizer as if how did you make that statement and not say if the lord wills you know, sort of sort of reproachfully they'll add it for you <laughs> well that has made me think about saying it more and saying it more has made me so much more conscious of the fact it is if the lord wills whether I say it or not, I won't do anything if the Lord doesn't will it. It's better if we express that. I just fear that sometimes we become so overcome. It's like we think we can control things. Oh, we can't control anything. And they wouldn't be able to do anything about it. These two things will happen in spite of your many sorceries, in spite of the great power of your spells, you felt secure in your wickedness and your wisdom and your knowledge and you said in your heart I am and there's no one besides me but, but this, this disaster will come and you won't be able to charm it away you won't be able to atone it and it will come on you, It's a disaster that's unheralded, inescapable and unprecedented and you won't stop it. God is challenged by the arrogance of a battle and he doesn't let her get by the we need to be very careful to constant in what we say and what we think reflect our complete understanding of God's dominion and our complete submissiveness to that. It is if God wills, and if he doesn't will it, I don't want it to happen. Comments and questions. Yes, maybe. Is there any significance sort of in how in verse 1 is called, uh, it's called the virgin daughter of Babylon, and then in verse 8, the sensual one? Is there some sort of closer look? I don't think so, because I think the virgin means I'm And I think the sensual one here means almost the idea of her pampering herself, her catering to her senses. More than some sort of sexual act. So I don't necessarily see a contrast to W.11C. Other questions and comments? Alright, the third reason 12 to 15. Stand now with your enchantments and the multitude of your sorceries in which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit, perhaps you will prevail. You are weary in the multitude of your counsel. But now the astrologers, the stargazers, and the monthly pro- prognosticators standeth and save you from what shall come upon you. Behold, they shall be as stubble; the fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. It shall not be a cold people body, nor a fire that sits before Thus shall they be to you have labored, your mercies from your youth, and shall wonder each one to his quarters. No one shall save you. Do you understand what Babylon's putting his trust in here? <coughs> Sorcery. Sorcery. And astrology. Astrology and all that kind of stuff. False religion. You know and he says these things won't help you know you've got all of these religious gurus and experts and whatever and they prophesy by the stars and they predict by the new moons and let them save you when the disaster comes fat chance not only could they not save babylon they won't even save themselves he says, Behold, they become like stumble in 14 fire birds, and they can't deliver themselves from the power of the flame. You let all the astrologers and sorcerers and, and whatever other religious personnel there were in Babylon and put them all together and they'll all be burned up in the flame. This fire won't be a warming fire. It'll be a raging furnace. That will destroy them. So have those become to you with whom you've labored, who've trafficked with you from your youth. These these people who were charlatans, exploiting them in these false religions. When the fire comes, where are those people going to be? Where? In the fire or... Going off where? In his own way. And wandering away from Babylon. There's none to save you. You know. It kind of is the picture of Revelation 18. Where those who were lamenting Babylon's fall in Revelation 18. Where were they standing? Far off. (laughs) I really love Babylon. Wanted to get far away when the destruction came. They won't be there to save you. The question is, what will we do when the fire comes? You know, the astrologers and the sorcerers and whatever religionists there are around, will they save us? Will will our economy, will our nation, will our sports, will our intelligence, will our learning, or will our wheeze or whatever it is, will that save us when the fire comes? Why do we dedicate ourselves to this? comments and questions but I was thinking this is very uh, associated with Daniel Daniel chapter 2 where they put their trust in the astrology and God makes them look like fools and, uh, and in verse 14 it reminds me of the story of Meshach, and Abednego where the astrologies, they got uh, in that story the people of God didn't get burnt up; but the people the other people did yeah the ones that threw them in good yeah, yeah. point other questions All right, well, this is a